You're listening to a sermon from Oak Hill Fellowship Church, located in Strasburg, Pennsylvania. You can learn more about us by visiting oakhillfellowship.com or finding us on social media. Now grab a Bible, a notebook, and get ready to be spiritually enriched by the Word of God. If you have a Bible, you can turn in that to uh, Acts chapter 6 right now. Acts chapter 6, we're going to have a little bit of a different sermon today. It's going to be broken up into three parts, and, and we're going to respond in prayer a couple different times. We're going to uh, sing then, and, and then we'll come back into the sermon. So we'll be in and out of the sermon a couple different times. Um, if you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the pew back in front of you. I would just love for you to grab that, and if you, if you don't have a Bible permanently, make that your own. Uh, make that your copy of God's Word where you can hear from God uh, by reading those words. If, if you are online, we have a link in the, uh, in the YouTube description where there's a, a U version. Uh, all the notes are there and, and all of the, uh, the Scripture passages are there as well. And so we would invite you to, to click on that link as well. So open your Bibles to Acts chapter 6. And uh, I re- recently had an interesting assignment from the elders um, I was asked to write a role description for the elders of our church and for myself as the pastor teacher, uh, which includes a few extra things from from the you know the average elder who uh, who has a, a day job and and has to keep up with that in addition to uh, what they do as an elder. And so, uh, so I just want you to pretend for a moment that I delegated that task of writing a role description for the elders to you today. Okay. If I were to ask you to write that role description, what would you include? What do you think an elder should be doing? What do you think an elder should be prioritizing in the church? I asked my sons this the other day, and their answers were kind of funny. One of them, of course, said preaching. Another one just said, you know, working on my computer in the office. Another one said uh, attending boring meetings. And, uh, <laughs> and so um, if you were answering that question, I, I think it would be obvious to include some form of, of teaching the Bible or giving biblical counsel from the scriptures uh, in, in specific situations in people's lives. Uh, maybe you would add like maybe visiting people who are sick or shut in. Uh, maybe you would talk about managing church finances. Um, maybe you would include the need to be personally invested in certain programs of the church that, that you find particularly important. Uh, maybe you'd be perceptive and you would use words like the elders determine the, uh, the what and the why of ministry like we've, we've talked about in, in the past. And the reality is that the list of responsibilities and tasks that an elder could do is almost endless. And, and honestly, like I watch the elders who, who have these full-time jobs and go about the work of the ministry here at Oak Hill and they, uh, they just astound me sometimes. Elders present, elders past. I'm so grateful for them and the work that they've done. Um, But I wonder how many of us would put at the top of that list of things that an elder needs to be about, I wonder how many of us would put prayer. I wonder how comfortable we would be if I told you that as the only full-time vocational elder here, out of a 55-hour work week, I prayed for 27 of them. I don't, by the way, but maybe I should be getting closer to that. I wonder how much we would be willing to 
uh, see some of those other things that we want to see happen in the church fall off of the elders' job description so that they can vote, devote plenty of attention to prayer. And today, as we look at God's word, we're going to see that, that prayer was something that the leaders of the church in Acts prioritized highly. They, they put it before everything, like even things that were important to some of the people in their church, they, they put it before even good things. And as a result, the entire church continued to be healthy and thrive. And they were shaped and marked by fervent prayer all throughout their church. You see, when leaders prioritize prayer, they stop being the leaders of the church. Wait, what? When leaders prioritize prayer, they stop being the leaders of the church, and God takes up that role. Our big idea for the day is this. When we prioritize prayer... God leads his church to multiply. When we prioritize prayer, God leads his church to multiply. So we're in a sermon series called uh, The Way of Prayer. And, And our vision in this series is to support one another in the path of discipleship. And that's what a church is all about. And the leadership of a church plays a critical role in that. The church is all about helping one another grow in our dependence on and devotion to Jesus. That's what a disciple is, someone who is growing in their dependence on and devotion to Jesus. And the church is here to make disciples in that way. We're called to reach the nations with the good news of Jesus and help them grow up in every way into maturity in Christ. And so to organize and lead the church toward those purposes God gives his church human leaders. Sometimes I wonder why, because we're just so fallible. But he does it anyway. He, He namely gives his church elders and deacons. And he calls upon those leaders to be humble, like David read. He calls upon those leaders to be qualified, especially in character, to stay true to his desires for the church that are outlined in his word. See, the elders are to shepherd the flock of God. They're to shepherd the church of God, not ultimately as leaders themselves, not as ultimate leaders themselves, but as under-shepherds. We elders answer to the chief shepherd, the head of the church, who is Jesus Christ. That was very clear in the passage that David read earlier. I think God was putting that together because I didn't tell him what to read. And therefore... Because we are under-shepherds of the chief shepherd, it's critical that we as elders learn to listen to the chief shepherd's voice as we seek him in prayer and the word. And so the the title of today's sermon is is Prayer for Our Leadership. And today, uh, like I said, we're going to go at this a little bit differently. It's going to be three short verses from the book of Acts where leaders are prioritizing prayer. We're going to see how this was a pattern in the church in Acts. And I've developed those three verses into three points of one sermon, but we're going to break that sermon up into three parts with some prayer and singing in response. And so uh, I certainly hope that as a result of this morning, you would be inspired to pray for the leaders of your church. Um, That's definitely important. We need that as, as leaders. 
Um, However, the particular goal of today is that we would see that prayer must be a priority in the midst of the leaders of our church, for the leaders of our church. Leaders of the church must lead from their knees. Prayer must be the leader's priority if it's going to be the church's priority. So so in one sense, I'm preaching specifically to the leaders of our church, the the elders, the deacons, lead through prayer. But if that's not you, it's not an excuse to check out this morning, right? Because for leaders to prioritize prayer, we all must understand the priority of prayer. We all need to see its value and importance. We, we need to clear things out so that prayer can have its proper place. And we must all be willing to go wherever the Spirit would lead as we prioritize prayer. Because when we prioritize prayer, God will lead His church to multiply. And so we need to get ready for Him to start leading when we prioritize prayer. Now, I don't think that there's any better place to see this than in the book of Acts, chapter 6, begin, in, in verse 4. Now, we're going to read all of 6, 1 to 7 just to get some context, but we're going to focus in on verses 3 and 4. So Luke writes, uh, Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. So here's the first thing that we want to see from God's word today. Uh, When we prioritize prayer, God leads his church to multiply ministry. God leads his church to multiply ministry. And so we're we're still in Acts chapter 6, and we're still in the first two years of, of the early church. We've seen already in the book of Acts that the church was born in a prayer meeting. 120 disciples waiting in an upper room, praying, waiting to receive power from on high through the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit came, and they all started preaching the word. And 3,000 souls were added to their number that day. 
And so what did they do? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread and fellowship, and to the prayers. And I want you to notice in that order that is in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, that, that the apostles' teaching, the word was first, and prayers was at the end. That's bookending these, these two important, these, these activities of the church with two of the most important things to them. And as a result, people were added to their number day by day, those who were being saved. In the midst of all that, two of their leaders were arrested for healing a guy. And when they were released, the, the, the church gathered together, and what did they do? They opened up the word of God, and out of the word, they prayed. And they prayed for boldness to keep preaching the word of God. And then there was this internal threat to the church of Ananias and Sapphira. And, and long story short, uh, there were two members of the church who, who had these carnal, selfish desires, and they were threatening the unity of the church. And so the Lord struck them dead on the spot. And there was great fear that came over everyone. But the apostles kept preaching, kept doing signs and wonders, and people kept coming to the Lord. And so there have been many threats, and consistently the apostles have responded by praying first. Remember, first response prayer, that's one of our goals here at Oak Hill during this series. First response prayer, by praying first and then preaching the word. This was the very heartbeat of the church. The, the, the church was founded through prayer and the word. The church was nourished through prayer and the word. And the church endured through prayer and the word. But now there's a new threat. The very heart of the church is being threatened, not from persecution from the outside, not this time by hardness of heart from the inside. The church isn't, isn't being threatened because people are leaving the church in droves and it's getting smaller and smaller and smaller. No, the church is actually being threatened by the distraction of it getting so big. You see, the practice of, of that first church was to, to sell all that they had and lay it at the apostles' feet so that everybody would have what they needed. It was a willing, voluntary release of my rights and of my resources for the sake of the whole. And Acts 4 said that, that God was doing amazing works and they had everything in common, meaning that they shared everything and they would lay it at the apostles' feet. There were apostles who were responsible for overseeing the distribution of these things. Now that might work when there's 12 apostles and 120 people. Apparently, it even still worked when there were 12 apostles and 3,000. But now you, you have a church exceeding, well exceeding 5,000 people at this point, and it's starting to get a little unruly. Some dear old widows are getting overlooked. Not only that, there, there's some ethnic tension involved here. And so the widows being overlooked were Hellenists. That they were Jews who had adopted Greek culture. These were, these were people who would have been naturally looked down upon by the more devout Jews. The text calls them the Hebrews, who were used to keeping the law perfectly or as, as well as they could. And so this is kind of a delicate situation here. Do you feel it? To call it a distraction almost seems a little insensitive. Like, these were marginalized widows who needed to eat. But at the same time, these apostles 
We're mere men who can't keep up with all of the demands of the church on their own. Like, did you ever have good things distract you from prayer? That ever happened to you? Like, if so, then you can relate. The child who who comes downstairs and wants breakfast as you're not quite finished with your quiet time and prayer with the Lord. The, The school project students, that that keeps you up late and has you so anxious and worried that that it's hard to even focus on prayer. The the kids' soccer practice that makes you rush through family devotions and skip over prayer so that you can get there on time. The work project that you have to get done by the deadline in order to keep your job. Good things can distract us from the priority of prayer. And the same is true for church leaders. There's always a ministry to develop, a communication to respond to, a person to visit. And so what's a leader to do? What are we to do when good things crowd out prayer in our lives? Acts 6, 3, and 4 is a great response. Look there again. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. The the apostles prioritized prayer by trusting that God would multiply ministry. The apostles prioritized prayer by trusting that God would multiply ministry. See, there were people in their church who were filled with the Holy Spirit. God wasn't just working in and through the apostles. He was working in a whole body of people, and they needed to realize that. There were people who could step in and handle the problems that needed to be solved so that they could maintain the priorities to which they were called. And God would lead the congregation to select these seven men to multiply ministry. They could trust that God would do that because they knew God wanted them to prioritize prayer. They could lay their hands on someone else and trust that God was at work leading his church to multiply ministry. Now to some people, their their response might sound a little pompous, a little arrogant. Like what, are they above serving tables? Who who do they really think they are? Like isn't a a leader supposed to be a servant leader? Doesn't he have to do the menial tasks? Like does it seem like they're just kind of shirking responsibilities to anyone else? Getting out of work, using their privileged status? It'll seem like that until we understand the value of prayer and the work of prayer. We need to understand that what is at stake here is the very heartbeat of the church. If they were just building a social service organization, they could build the best social service organization ever. They could feed all the widows in the world But if they don't have prayer and the word, they cease to be the church. 
They cease to be the house of prayer for all nations that God called the church to be. They cease to be the thing that Jesus is leading and building as he promised in Matthew 16. It would be the only thing that he would build. And the good thing of feeding widows could not crowd out the God thing of prayer in these leaders' ministry because prayer and the word are how God leads his church. Now, this is a sermon series and a, and a sermon on prayer specifically. So I'm going to naturally focus on that first half of prayer. That's not because I don't love the word, okay? I, I very much do, and I hope that's obvious to you. But I, I think it's appropriate to devote some attention in this particular sermon to pr- the ministry of prayer because we are a very Bible-saturated church, Okay? The Word of God is, part, is not just part of everything that we do. It drives everything that we do. It's not just an add-on to us. It's, it's like, let's go back and make sure what we're doing is in line with the Word, and if it's not, let's fix it. And rightly so. But here's the danger in that sometimes. We can tend to prioritize the Word more easily more naturally than prayer. Has that ever happened to anybody else? You're thinking? We're happy to spend 45 minutes to an hour in a church like ours listening to someone preach the word. But are we happy to spend 45 minutes to an hour praying together and actually participating in that prayer? And yet, in this little statement, Prayer is equally weighted with the ministry of the word. It's 50% of the equation. Do we give that equal weight in our hearts? See, the truth is you need both. You can't have meaningful prayer without the word where God reveals himself, and you can't have meaningful supernatural times in the word without prayer. And so we must learn to value prayer if we're going to see it as a priority. We we need to regularly realize the wonder of the fact that we get to talk to the one who created us. The one who gives us every breath. The one who sent his son to rescue us when we were actively rebelling against him in our sin. We are talking to the one who made his son to be sin. The son who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We are talking to the one who made his enemies his children by putting his son on a cross to die for their sins. He wants relationship with you. He wants relationship with us, his people. In prayer, we are talking to the true de facto leader of his church. We are talking to the one who indwells every believer who is sitting here by his spirit and who knows each one of your needs more intimately than you even know them yourself. The one who who knows the people around us in our communities who he has chosen to save and he is directing us toward those people and directing us in our affairs toward the lost. We're talking to the one who uses our prayers to multiply witnesses for his glory. Do you know that God? When we're praying to him, do you know who you're talking to? 
If you don't, you can know him by coming to Jesus Christ in faith today. God sent his son so that you could have relationship with him. And that relationship is expressed together with his people as our hearts are tuned towards him in prayer. Do you see the value in praying to that God? See, we need to move everything around so that prayer receives proper attention alongside the word of God. The, the apostles don't overlook the need. They, they don't diminish the need saying, widow, stop complaining. Just go figure it out. They just call on others to step up into leadership and meet the need so that they can keep the heartbeat of the church alive. By the way, this is the groundwork out of which the two offices of elder and deacon come in the church. If you look at the book of Acts, there's a, there's a development of the offices of leadership. And eventually what is landed on is elder and deacon. And the apostles were serving in the Jerusalem church as elders would in later churches, governing the why and the what direction of the church through prayer and the word. But now they needed a different type of servant. They needed a servant who would manage the details of the how and the when. That's what deacons do. And so they make sure the important practical matters of the church are cared for by appropriately delegating them to qualified individuals. Deacons and, and ministry servants in general help to prioritize prayer in a church by freeing up the elders to lead in that way. Deacons and ministry servants help to prioritize prayer in a church by freeing up the elders to lead in that way. And so we must move everything around so that prayer receives its proper attention alongside the word. And I've got to be honest, this is a real challenge for me as a very task-oriented, get-her-done type leader. Like to park myself down in a chair and pray for an hour or two is, is challenging. To clear my mind of the to-do list and all the things that need to be done. But oh, when I do. Oh, when I do. The way that God leads the way that God does things that I couldn't do, the, the way that he leads me first to praise him, the way that he leads me to trust him, the way that he leads our elders to understand where he's leading us, to more easily see together where we should go next. We, we had an amazing time of prayer as elders at our elder meeting, and, and just we're seeking to prioritize that more and more, but it's going to require that we move things around and, and maybe even slow things down sometimes. We must move everything around so that prayer receives its proper attention alongside the word. And I love that our elders are willing to roll up their sleeves and serve just about anywhere. You will see them doing all kinds of different things around this church. But we are really working hard to get our elders out of things like ushering on a Sunday morning because that's when the worship team and the preacher are praying for you and for our service. And I hope you value that time. 
And it's okay if they're needed occasionally. But listen, when you say yes to being an usher and to being on the schedule, maybe more often than you currently are, you're helping us prioritize prayer as a church. And so thank you for those of you who have been recently saying yes to that. We've, we're seeing that schedule filled in more and more. We could still use more in those roles. Same is true after the service. Like, like Alden you know, is, is looking for money counters, right? Because he wants to be shepherding people and praying with them after the service so that he's not immediately going down to that room to count the, the offerings after the service. And so if you join the counting team, you're helping us prioritize prayer. Thank you for that. The same could be said of, of stepping into almost any ministry role. The more that we all use our gifts in the body, the more that we can have the space to prioritize prayer. And that's not just a sales pitch, like to get you to do stuff. It's the only way that God is going to do what he wants to do. Because prayer is the essential ministry. We must move everything around so that prayer receives its proper attention alongside the word. And then and only then will ministry multiply the way that God desires. Like God wanted these widows fed. And he wanted the apostles to prioritize prayer and the word. And he wanted to fill other men with his spirit to meet the need because he wanted to pour out his power on the church so that the gospel could be displayed and he could be glorified. So I love this, this little formula that I heard once. Uh, call it Holy Spirit math, okay? It's up on the screen. Holy Spirit math. Three plus four equals seven, right? So get this, right? Acts 6, 3 which says, pick out from you among, among yourselves seven men filled with the Holy Spirit, plus Acts 6, 4, we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word, equals Acts 6, 7. In between, those are just some descriptions of how those things happened. But the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly. You get the body stepping up and doing what the body does. You get the leaders prioritizing prayer, and God does awesome things. And so here's the question I want us to reflect on and actually to pray through right now. Do I value prayer enough to make it a priority? And if so, what needs to move so that it, it can be my priority in my life and my priority for the church. And what we're going to do in this prayer time, in this, in this first prayer time, is we're just going to worship God for the privilege of prayer and for his word. We, we see that consistently throughout the scriptures. We get to worship God. We get to talk to God. There's great value in that. And as we worship, the value of prayer and the value of the word increase in our hearts. And so what we want to do here is, is just respond to, to two, uh, two different verses here. Uh, Psalm 91.15 says this, When he calls to me, I will answer him. That's awesome, right? God is saying this to you. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. 
And then Psalm 91.15 says, How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. And so uh, just in response to that first, uh, Father, thank you for hearing our prayer when, and maybe just a time when, when God has heard your prayer. Maybe it's a, a specific situation. Maybe it's just a general time when you feel the need to call out to the Lord. Thank you for hearing me. And then as we respond to the, the, the word of God, Father, your word is, and give it an adjective, is beautiful, is instructive, is whatever the Lord is leading you to, because why is God's word so valuable? So what I wanted you to do is uh, maybe just find a, a, a person or two around you. If you don't feel comfortable praying out loud, that is totally fine. Um, but maybe a couple of you can just, just lead out in, in that smaller group and respond to God's, to God's call to prayer and the fact that he hears us. Respond in worship to that and then respond in worship for his word. Let's take some time to do that right now. If you're online, I'd invite you to do that with your family. Even type some things into the chat. God loves to work in the midst of that kind of worship where Jesus is, is exalted as worthy. You can turn your Bibles now to Acts chapter 13. Like I said, this morning is a little bit different. We're, we're uh, hitting a couple of different points in the book of Acts where we see the leaders prioritizing prayer. And, uh, and so we've seen the value that the apostles placed on prayer and the ministry of the word in the church in Jerusalem. Uh, now we're going to fast forward to Acts 13 and see if that priority was maintained as the church expanded beyond Jerusalem and into uh, the nations. And so we're, we're now in the city of Antioch, which is north of Israel in Syria. And uh, the, the church was planted when people had fled Jerusalem after Stephen was murdered by Saul, who we know often as the Apostle Paul. And so this church was primarily filled again with Hellenists, uh, people who had adopted Greek culture who were Jewish. And, and so the, the elders in this church, at, in the church at Jerusalem, had sent Barnabas to establish them in the faith. He, he, he was sent out by the main church to make sure that this new church was healthy and established, but he needed some help. And so uh, in Acts chapter 11, we see that he sent for none other than Saul himself. The very guy who had scared the church planters out of Jerusalem to go plant this church in Antioch is now the guy who is going to establish the church in Antioch. I love God's uh, way of doing things, don't you think? Saul had spent the better part of the last 12 years hanging out in his hometown of Tarsus. He'd kind of been laying low, doing some teaching there, telling people about Jesus, but now his proven worth had made him valuable to the work in Antioch. Barnabas is like, I need that guy. And so they, they spend the next year teaching the word of God to this church. Saul, you would remember, goes by, by the other name of the Apostle Paul. And he was a missionary who, who planted churches all over the Roman Empire. But, but in these early years, he acted 
somewhat in the capacity of elder in the church in Antioch. And so he and Barnabas were the ones who, who would carry most of the teaching load, and that's the context now for Acts 13, 1 to 3. Read with me. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then, after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Here we see that when we prioritize prayer, God leads his church to multiply mission. God leads his church to multiply mission. Now, again, I want to be careful. Uh, this is a, a descriptive passage about what happened in the church in Antioch, right? So it's not a guarantee that we start praying, we start worshiping the Lord, and the Spirit speaks clearly to us out loud and says, set apart for me Alden and John to go plant a church in York. That's not the guarantee that we're getting here. It's also interesting. It's not a direct command to fast. There, there's nowhere in the New Testament that there's a direct command to fast, even though I'm going to suggest that it is a good and healthy and worthwhile practice. What we see instead is, is another example of the consistent pattern that when God's people pray, he leads them to send out witnesses. It happened on the day of Pentecost. It happened as a result of the prayer meeting in chapter 4, when Peter and John were released from prison, and it's happening again the leaders of the church in Antioch are praying. They're specifically worshiping the Lord and fasting. They're prioritizing that type of worship-based praying that we've been talking about all throughout this sermon series. They're getting their hearts focused on God. They're seeking His face. And it says that they are fasting. Uh, biblical scholar Donald Whitney defines fasting as a Christian's voluntary abstinence from food for spiritual purposes. It's a Christian's voluntary abstinence from food for spiritual purposes. And there can be a variety of spiritual reasons for fasting, uh, maybe repentance, seeking God for something, increasing your hunger for God, but, it, but it's not for other purposes like, like dieting or, or a body cleanse. That, that's not biblical fasting in that sense. The reason for biblical fasting is always spiritual. I am putting myself in a place of physical hunger to become more aware of my spiritual need. And so that's where we find these leaders in the church in Antioch. They're fasting and worshiping the Lord. They're simply seeking the face of God with a great spiritual intensity and fervor. And the Holy Spirit starts talking. And he says, take Two guys who are among you. Take two of your primary leaders in this church and set them apart for the work to which I have called, which we are going to find out in Acts 13 and 14, is to leave town and go into modern-day Turkey and plant churches. That's the work that he had called them to. And so these leaders, they pray and they fast some more. God, is this really you? We need to be sure this is you because this is a big ask. And then they, they need to get their heart on the same page with God and then they send them out. 
And here's the thing that I want us to see. The Apostle Paul's first missionary journey was launched from a prayer meeting. The Apostle Paul's first missionary journey was launched from a prayer meeting. The great church planter of the first century was called to his first missionary journey through a time of prayer. And here's the question I want us to ask together and explore. Why? Why? Why did, why did God choose to do it that way? What is the significance of the fact that the leaders in the church in the Antioch were worshiping and fasting when the Holy Spirit set Paul and Barnabas apart? Why did the Spirit use that as a catalyst for this work? And I believe that one of the main reasons is this. Because that's the type of church culture that God wants to multiply. God wants to multiply that type of intimacy with him. In the Old Testament, it says that the eyes of the Lord are seeking the, the world to and fro for all who would seek him. God looks at that group of people whose hearts are inclined toward him, and he says, yes, that's what I'm looking for. Let's be spreading more of that. And so how do we as a church develop that kind of intimacy with God? Well, I've talked about Scripture-fed, Spirit-led, worship-based prayer a lot. I believe, I believe we're seeing at least the worship-based part of that, prayer that seeks God's face before it seeks His hand. It's a big part of developing our intimacy with God, right? But we don't talk very much at all about fasting, do we? I might have maybe one time in the last six years used it as an application to something. But fasting is an excellent way to grow in our intimacy with God. It's not that fasting impresses God or compels him to answer us in some extra way. But rather, fasting trains me to put off my natural impulses and desires for the purpose of seeking God. Every time I'm hungry and my body says, you need food, I can tell myself, you need God even more. And let me just point out, a lot of people say, fasting doesn't have to be food. It could be something else. You could be fast from technology or coffee or chocolate. And, and I guess that could be true, but it's actually missing part of the point. My good friend Christian McNeely pointed this out to me, that when you fast, from, say, like technology, for example, you're, you're fasting from something you don't really need. But when you fast from food, you're, you're fasting from something that your body actually needs to live, something that your body is actually calling for, something that is a real and genuine hunger. And so you're increasing your awareness of your spiritual need in a more heightened way. And I would suggest if you want to refrain from media or technology or something else to pray, like, awesome. Refrain from eating food alongside that to maximize the fast. Start with one meal, then, then work your way up to two. Uh, put it on your calendar. Like, I'll always forget to fast if I, if I don't schedule it into my time. But I would, I would commend to you, as an application of today's sermon, as one of the applications, to set aside some time, to fast. And I'm going to send some resources out this week that will help you uh, plan that and, and help you uh, personally uh, strategize how that's going to look for you. 
But the point is this, fasting trains me to put off my natural impulses and desires for the purpose of seeking God. Again, Donald Whitney, I love what he said. He's like, is there never a time in your life where you don't want God more than you want lunch? That was pretty compelling to me. <laughs> is there ever a time in your life where you want, you want God more than you want lunch? And we need to develop a hunger for God in prayer. And, and when we do, God leads his church to multiply because that's what he loves to do. It's what he, he wants to do in us as we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. God has clearly said, one of my, one of my will, part of my will is that you would go as witnesses into all nations. And so how would you measure your desire for God right now? Just do a little personal heart check. How would you measure your hunger, your desire for God right now? How would you evaluate your experience of intimacy with him? No matter where your desire is, there's room for that desire to grow. I know there's room in my heart to grow in my desire for God. And so how can you position yourself in a place to grow that desire and intimacy? In this next prayer time, we're going to do a little bit of that. Uh, we're going to look at uh, Psalm 63, 1-4, which is up on the screen. And we're going to uh, seek God to increase our desire for him. So Psalm 63, verse 1, says, O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. As in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live in your name. I will lift up my hand. And so you can respond to that in any way that you want before the Lord. Pour out your heart to him. But if you're, if you're needing a place to start, uh, here are two places to start. Uh, God, I need you more than food, more than money, more than whatever it is that you feel like you need. Confess the things that you're tempted to re re rely upon. Or this, your, Lord, your steadfast love is better than. And confess the things that you desire more than his love. The things that you value and treasure more than his love. And so I'm going to give you some time to do this, uh, just in the quietness of your heart. But I would, I would encourage you, actually pray these things out loud. Uh, personally, my heart, my, my mind wanders. So just pray these things out loud quietly. The person next to you isn't going to be listening to you because they're going to be praying out loud too. And just all at the same time, not, it doesn't have to be for the whole room to hear, but just for the Lord to hear and for you to hear. Talk to God. Increase your hunger for him. That's what we're waiting for. That's what we're longing for is the very presence of Jesus in the midst of his people, in the midst of his kingdom. And uh, as we 
tune our hearts to that, God does mighty work. God leads his church. And so you can flip over uh, one page now to the end of the missionary journey of Paul and Barnabas to Acts chapter 14. It might not even be a page. I don't know. For your Bible, depends on how fine your print is. But uh, we, we've seen the leaders prioritizing prayer in Jerusalem uh, and God leading his, his church to multiply ministry locally there by raising up deacons. We, we've seen the leaders prioritizing uh, prayer in the church in Antioch and God leading the church to, to multiply mission by sending two of those leaders out. And, and so finally, we're going to see how Paul and Barnabas prioritize prayer while on their missionary journey in the churches that they planted. Look at Acts 14, uh, beginning in verse 19. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city, and on the next day he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. When he had preached the gospel to that city, and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church, with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. When we prioritize prayer, uh, God leads his church to multiply churches. Churches. So this is the final description of, of Paul and Barnabas' missionary journey that, that started in that prayer meeting in Antioch. Uh, they had really covered a lot of ground uh, from there, they, they had traveled from Antioch to Cyprus, which is an island, and then they went over to the mainland of what is modern-day Turkey uh, uh, to a different city called Antioch in Pisidia. I know, confusing, right? Like, Acts is just crazy sometimes, but just follow along. Uh, then they went to Iconium, and then to Lystra, and then to Derby. And so they were moving at a pretty quick clip here. They were barely getting the message out. They were staying a few weeks, and then they were getting persecuted, and so they would, they would have to leave because people were trying to kill them. They'd have to move on, and, uh, and we see that actually Paul is left for dead. They think he's dead, and he gets up the next day, and he keeps going on. That's some endurance, eh? And so they were getting to the end of that journey. They're like, hey, wait a minute. We weren't just here to make converts. We were sent out to make disciples. And so they, they go back to each city where they proclaim the gospel, and, and they take some time to, to strengthen the believers there. They, they take some time to equip them in the basics of following Jesus, making sure that they know, hey, you got to keep going in this. You, it's not just like, like pray the prayer and then you're done and you get your card stamped and you get into heaven. No, no, no. It, it's, it's through tribulation that you're going to enter the kingdom of heaven. And then the last thing that they do before they leave is they appoint elders. That, that word means that they laid hands on them to ordain them to the work of the Lord. They ordained elders in every place. They appointed men who were, who were qualified in character, men who understood how Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament and was the promised Savior King, men who could teach the Word of God with 
boldness and keep the whole thing going. And so I imagine that these were men who prioritized prayer and the word. Don't you think based on the pattern we've seen so far? By the way, one of the main things that that makes a church a church is the presence of biblically qualified elders. The, The church is a people who have made a commitment together to the Lord and to one another. And that commitment is made possible through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that commitment is to walk in the way of a disciple together. And that commitment is overseen by biblically qualified elders. And that's what makes the church more than just me and my friends sitting in a coffee shop talking Bible over coffee. There's a commitment to one another. There's a steadfastness. There's a we're in this together to one another. And if you haven't made that commitment to a local church uh, and you're just kind of hanging out on the fringes right now, I would challenge you, make the commitment. Make the commitment. I'd invite you to come to our membership class next week and to learn more about what that looks like. Because the biblical pattern is that disciples are made and then they are organized into local churches. That's what we see all throughout the New Testament. There's no other biblical pattern than that. There's no concept of New Testament Christianity that does not include a commitment to one another in the body of Christ. And so in this moment that they're organized into a church and identified leaders, what do they do before they move on? With prayer and fasting. With prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Or I like the way the New International Version puts it, or, or the King James is similar. With prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. Prayer is our expression of our common trust. Think about what Paul and Barnabas are doing here. They're replicating the same type of leadership and churches that they had experienced back in Antioch. Leaders and churches who hunger after God, who devote themselves to prayer and fasting, who entrust themselves to God wherever God plants that church, wherever God would lead. And I don't think it's an accident that Paul and Barnabas were sent out from Antioch with prayer and fasting, and then the last thing that we see them doing on their missionary journey is commissioning a group of elders and a church with what? Prayer and fasting. Prayer is the expression of our common trust. And when we pray together, we're saying, God, we trust you to lead your church. We trust you to take us where you want us to go and to endure whatever you want us to endure. And that's true in every local church ministry. And it's especially true in church planting because in church planning, think about Paul and Barnabas. They pour themselves out. They, they get to themselves to the point of death for this. And then they got to move on. And they have to trust that God is going to keep the thing going. Now, you may not think very often about church planting. But it's one of our values here at Oak Hill. Strategic church planting. It's, it's the value that probably gets the least airtime because we're, we're not currently involved in a new visible work. But the book of Acts and the New Testament is clear. Uh, church planting is on God's heart. New churches rising up in new places because new disciples are being made all over the nations. That's on God's heart. 
And Jesus taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. And church planting is part of his will that needs to be done on earth so that the kingdom advances and more and more people experience a foretaste of heaven. The, the church, the local church is supposed to be an outpost for the kingdom wherever she is found. You might not realize it, but you didn't. We are doing the work of church planting right now. This very moment, we are, we are doing the work of church planting. No, no, we're not commissioning a church planter today. We don't have a place necessarily identified to start a new work or, or a people that we're laying hands on and sending them out. But listen, as we focus our hearts on prayer, and as we focus our attention on God, and we devote ourselves to understanding his word, and we proclaim Jesus, and we equip servants, and we send witnesses, as we raise up leaders, as we help people grow as ministry servants, as we proclaim the gospel to the lost, so that more and more people come into relationship with their God, as we establish this church, we are preparing for church planting right now. We're laying the foundations for that moment when God would say, send these people from your church out. Proclaim the gospel somewhere new. Strengthen those people who come to faith in Jesus. Establish leaders. Plant a church. Those things only happen when we express our trust in God through prayer. But we're not thinking about it otherwise. We're not focused on it otherwise. Those things only happen when we cry out to God and say, we can't be the church you want us to be without your divine intervention, God. And we've seen God do this twice in the history of our church. We, we sent out our, our founding pastor in 2014, and we ourselves were a church plant in 2008. Like, of course we value church planting because we wouldn't be here otherwise. And I believe God will do it again as we set our hearts on him. We don't know where, and it's not for the end of church planting itself. It's for the end of the glory of God because we want God to be experienced everywhere. He wants to send his people out to be his witnesses of all nations. And God's clear mission for the church is to multiply disciples and churches so that he would be glorified. Ultimately, for Paul and Barnabas, church planting was a major expression of their own faith in God. It was an expression of their trust in him because they had to requ it required them to commit their work to the Lord in prayer and fasting. Church planting requires that we trust God to do something with his work, even though we don't receive a direct benefit from it. You're releasing resources and people, and you're just sending them out, and you don't get anything back on this earth. Even when it costs us physical pain, and there doesn't seem to be any return on investment here, we have to trust God that there is. Church planting requires that we trust God enough to release the work to him even when we can't be there to oversee it. It requires that we trust that God is at work in other people who trust him too and that he wants more people to come to him. And one of the reasons why strategic church planting is a value of ours is because it's going to increase our fervency in prayer. It's going to increase our heart to see God at work. And it's going to align our heart to his work in the nations. 
And the result is going to be more ministry multiplied, more mission multiplied, more churches multiplied. And God is going to get the glory because it all starts in prayer. And so we want to have one more prayer time this morning. And this one's going to be a little bit different. Uh, like I said, it, what we're doing here is what's going to lead to planting churches out there. And so um, as Paul and Barnabas commended the leaders of the church in the, church in the churches that they planted, we want to just pray over the leaders in our own local church here. And so I'm going to ask, and I've already emailed the leaders, uh, if you are an elder or a deacon um, and you're in this room, just stand up and kind of move to the outside aisles right now. And uh, your wives as well, of course. And I'd like you to, to ask, as, as these people are standing out on the aisles or in the back, uh, just maybe spread out too, like couples, like you can be up here and you guys can be a little bit more. Spread yourselves out a little bit. And just go find uh, an, an, a leader in our church and pray over them. Up on the screen, there's, there's um, the list of what they do. And we want to pray this for them. Uh, at 1 Corinthians uh, 15, 58 says, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. And so pray that they would be steadfast and immovable through God's grace. Pray that they would abound in the work of the Lord. Pray that they would have witness, wisdom to identify others who would, who would serve and develop as leaders. And pray that they would know that in the Lord their labor is not in vain. They need your prayer, okay? And so would you do that? Would you stand up right now and, and, and just, you don't have to get too close to them. <laughs> but just pray for them. And you, you don't, again, it doesn't have to be loud. Uh, it doesn't have to be out loud. Although it would encourage their hearts, I'm sure, if you did. And let's just uh, spend some time. If you're online, uh, there are some of our leaders online right now. I know um, uh, Titus and, and Becky McGrath, at least, are online. Kayla, who oversees our live stream all the time, she's online as well. And so just pray over, pray over these leaders right now. Father, I pray for the leaders in our church. I pray that you would strengthen them and cause them to endure. I pray that you would give them hope in you, joy in you, that they would not grow weary in doing good, but that they would find the joy of the Lord as you meet them in their place of service. Lord, I pray that you would continually raise up more and more leaders at Oak Hill, that you would raise up ministry servants uh, to share the load of the ministry. I pray that, that as we do, that in everything that we do, we would prioritize prayer. That you would call us again to, to call upon you, knowing that you will answer us. That you would call us to respond to your word in prayer, trusting that you will do the things that you have said you're going to do. Lord, I, I pray that the result would be that 
people are sent out from this place. Whether that's here in our local community or that's around the world. Lord, do it again like you've done it before. But in all of this, Lord, we want to recognize continually our desperate need for you. And so help us to to prioritize that cry to you, that neediness, and that reliance upon your grace. Thank you for listening to Oak Hill Fellowship Church. Stay connected with us by finding us on social media or by joining us Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. Until then, remember that you are loved.